by the time Joe was engaged is when it it just kind of all seemed to be like that was a bad idea. Maybe continuing this band's a bad idea. I, I don't know, man. It was just this like perfect storm of like just like crap. Welcome back to Label, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter, and I'm very excited to release our first double episode today. Now, I've always felt like one of the greatest injustices that we've faced is being denied a second beloved record. I'm sure you agree. And Failure On was so good that I think that means that Beloved's second album has to be one of the best albums that was never made. And so I've always bugged Dusty about their breakup and the lack of reunion. And I still have enough unanswered questions that I thought you'd share that it would make a great episode. So I began to make an episode with Dusty, and after doing so, it was apparent that even he didn't possess all the answers to the beloved questions that I have. And it was clear that I needed to talk to their singer, Josh, to get the answers I was looking for. So we're lucky enough to have Josh and Dusty, so I figured they both needed their own episode so that you get to know each one of them and understand their points of view. So have fun with this double episode, and special note, I did not talk to Joe Mustin, who everybody knows is the heart of Beloved, for this double episode, but certainly Joe is a legend in himself, and he deserves his own episode at a future time, so don't worry about that. But on this episode, you'll hear from Dusty exclusively, and then I recommend going ahead and listen to the one with Josh as soon as possible. The two episodes are meant to be consumed closely together and in that order. Okay, here's me and Dusty. Okay, Dusty. So, sorry about I had to throw you under the bus, you said, in the Dead Poetic episode. I wasn't thrown <laughs> under the bus is not the way that I would put it, but I thought it was a point worth noting that your luck with, with bands that break up. I had a, I had just texted you and Bran. I was like, dude, this was a great episode. Like, I was, like, tying it up. I was fixing dinner. <laughs> I was tying it up, and then... Uh, then I hear like you're just like oh poor Dusty, <laughs> like oh man. <laughs> so I like text both of you guys immediately. I'm like oh. <laughs> uh, you can get a term like you got Redmond, like Munson. Yeah, I got Munson out here in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you got Redmond on my third band. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a knack for being in bands then that fall apart. Uh yeah, man. I've uh, gotten pretty good at it. So <laughs> I was in Beloved for a while. Uh, had a drummer quit and the band broke up. I immediately got uh, in a band called Dead Poetic, uh, had a singer who uh, who got engaged and quit the band, and that band broke up. And uh, then I joined The Almost uh, for a while, and then uh, that band just kind of uh, went away for a little while and, and came back without me. Without me. <laughs> Well, let's go back. I know how some of your musical endeavors have ended, Dusty, but I don't know how you discovered indie music growing up in small town like Kernersville, North Carolina. You're close to my age, a little younger, so I know you have something of a similar upbringing to me. And in the same set of time period, you kind of discovered similar music, but I don't actually know how that yeah. came about. So let's start there. I remember kind of getting more involved with the church, I guess maybe... This is sometime like in middle school. And I remember I went one night to this new church and they did a scavenger hunt. And like my team won the scavenger hunt and we got to pick like a, a CD or a tape. I think it was a tape at the time, I'm sure, out of like a grab bag. And I picked DC Talks Free at Last. And that was like the first like Christian music I'd ever heard. You you marked that as like uh, it changed your life when you heard DC Talk and Newsboys. Then, it, it's you, weird. I, ne I never really thought that it, it did, but I guess now thinking about it, it, it sort of did. I think it was like the next Easter came around. My parents had gotten my brother and I like tapes. And I remember I got Sometime Sunday, Stone. And then I think my brother might have gotten like a Blenderhead tape or CD or something. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got that Sometime Sunday tape, man, I just like jammed on it because they were, you know, clearly the Christian alternative to like Stone Temple Pilots' core album. I, I was like super into alt rock, super into punk rock, and just really kind of went down the rabbit hole of like some of those early Tooth & Nail releases. And like all of that just kind of like gelled into like, well, now I want to be in a band. And 
that I kind of had a few friends that were also kind of feeling the same way and kind of were getting into those early solid state releases and stuff mm-hmm. like that. As, as it's like high school rolled in, like Matt, who, who I met in seventh grade, uh, you know, who ended up being the guitar player in Beloved and helped start Advent. Dude, like he was like the kid I knew who could riff on Metallica all day and stuff like that. So we just kind of, you know, we, we knew Joe and I've known Joe since sixth grade. He, he's like, third cousin in my family i don't know if you even knew that like, no, I didn't. you know you know a small town dude all you all you guys are probably related to but um <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know if any of those that you're talking about there are in your favorite three can you yeah. give me your top tooth and nail catalog songs for the first one i picked uh uh council of perfection by strong arm um dude that that song is sick that song I mean, like, even later on, even now listening to it, it gets me so freaking pumped up. Why is it sick? Dude, just, like, Strong Arm was so, for me, the way that those lyrics, like, impacted me and the way that the music, man, the way that those guys got in and out of parts. And, I mean, you know, if you, if you listen, you know, and I know you listen to Further Seems Forever, but it's it's so like seamless to listen to to strong arm who's like so heavy and so aggressive to further seems forever who's so like beautiful but at the core it's still that same music which is like super cool they really were like the first band that really did that that, like a beautiful hardcore type thing to me they 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 did it you know and it was so genuine and it's still so genuine and then uh let's see i picked uh uh self-minded's always yes. man dude we agree on that right that that's the, the, the heaviest thing that we know that, about the end, <laughs> the end of that song is the heaviest there's nothing heavier <laughs> than the end of that song That like every band on like Solid State, you're like, who's the heaviest band on Solid State? Or was it all self-minded? Yeah. But it just seemed like it never, it never got as popular as it should have. Uh, yeah. Dude, the last one I got, man, and, and you'll probably dig. Uh, it, and it kind of like it hit at a really really good time for me. And like, man, it's really all I listened to um, was Carelessness by Fair. Nice. Yeah, dude. Sprinkle, man. Like you know, we were doing that. That dead poetic record at the time and and he had just put that out in that record i was just like you know that was when like my relationship with sprinkle was really forming and i like i just man i i got it i was like i really get this dude and and hearing like that song in particular i remember just like i was like he's got such an original sense of melody and i i yeah i just love this guy so um yeah, like when I was picking, I was like, man, I was kind of looking through my songs on my on my phone, and I was like, dude, Carelessness is that song is super special to me. I love that song too. That record's amazing. It's so good, man. It's it's, and you know, it's another one that I feel like is another that like musicians and bands that I respect go in and they're like, that's a really you know killer record, you know, for, for just like. All the way across, songwriting, recording, everything yeah. is incredible. It, it is. I was there when he was making that record. I was working in the studio. I don't remember exactly what projects it was between, but I was there the whole time he was making that record. I just sat there and watched him do it. I was like, oh, goodness, yeah. goodness gracious, that's great. But that's all true. We all like love the, the heavy stuff, but like we all kind of were into like different things, you know? Um, but it's funny because like Tooth and Nail seemed to have like a little bit of that for all of us. And Josh, man, Josh, he, yeah, he's two years younger, but Josh had one of the older souls in the band from the get go. What do you mean by that? From the minute like he we started hanging out with him and he 
he kind of joined the band. The songs that he like looked up to and like really listened to at that time, now kind of looking back at it, he he really listened to stuff with like good songwriting and like he's always been such a like a songwriter fan. I mean, even like early on, like he he would listen to this like more like pensive indie rock type stuff where it wasn't corny, you know, whereas like Joe would listen to stuff maybe for breakdowns and I would listen to stuff for cool guitar riffs. Josh was like listening to 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 songs that had like lyrical purpose and he latched onto that stuff way earlier than I did. As an 18 year old, that's pretty awesome. As an 18 dude, he really did. And so I like always looked up to Josh a lot in, in that regard. So it was never like, oh, he's in the what young. regard, artistically or song? just yeah, def- definitely, definitely on like an artistic level, you know. And Josh, it's it's weird because Josh had always been this just this little skateboarder kid, but it's like when it came time to put him up, man, he really did. He he threw his cards down and and, and cleaned house. It's cool, man. Josh has got a twin brother. I don't know if you knew that. He's got a twin brother named Ian, and Ian's awesome dude. But Ian was a uh, the 18 inch mohawk skinhead punk rocker like i feel like ian was getting arrested every weekend in high school and 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 josh was kind of this like clean skateboarder kid who like i'd i'd take him to school you know i'd take him to school take him home and and we listened to like we'd listen to all kinds of just stuff like i said those early get up kids records like early saves the day records and stuff like that but josh yeah like i said man he's just a kid who kind of gravitated towards like the it sounds pretentious to say like the artier side of things but like more of the artsy side of things you know mm-hmm. and i think that's just that's his being and it's definitely um still his being for sure i think like we are all just genuine dudes that loved our scene like we would go to shows as many nights of the week as we could go to and we would try to be friends with all the local bands you know all the guys older than us and You know, like Joe was the kid, like getting in the pit, buying all the merch, you know, like we were just genuine fans. I mean, it's such a live art form. It's such written for the breakdown, for the mosh. I I would like to hear how you think of that. That's what's what's weird, dude. Like I've never, uh, I've never really been asked that. So that's what, like, I don't think we wrote anything. We weren't, I don't think we ever once wrote something where like, oh, crap like here comes this is where we're like kids are gonna throw chairs at each other it oh was come never, on of course you did dude, dude i sw- like i sw- like never then how does it work so well how's it so good at that then if you aren't I trying know. i don't know like listening back to it now <laughs> like so much of it's like oh my god that's so abrupt and like like it clearly sounds like we just put something in there so like kids would like grab each other and punch each other in the face at this part after this clean guitar picking part That's a really weird one to, to answer, man. And, and, you know, Joe might have a better answer for that. But I think musically, man, we just we're just trying to like whatever parts we had at that time. We were just trying to piece them together. Let, give me a shot to answer then if you don't know. Yeah, go I think for there's, it, I think there's something going on. <laughs> I think there's something that's going on there where this art form that you guys are engaging in on a local level is getting refined in the way that stand-up comedy does. Like you, you try stuff out in front of the audience until it's refined and then you know it has arrived. And so when you're doing breakdown music and you know breakdowns are there and you try this out and you try it four times, you try it slower and you try the tempo dragon here, if you get enough reps and as a local band, you just it just happens automatically. Like the things that work stick around basically. And so it was this perfect time where the scene was rising and people had this opportunity to get in there and like really use the the live expression of the art form to actually refine the art so it to me it's like one of the ultimate situations of where i think beloved just nails the art form of of creating the the best music that's both powerful on the recording and translates live it's the perfect marriage of that and that's why i think failure on is such an accomplishment yeah i mean i think definitely by the time we 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 did failure on for sure it was 
we kind of had it down for sure by then. But I think early on, as far as like intents go, man, I, I'm not sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really conscious. You didn't know what exactly. It's just that's just what came out. No, man, no. And it's what's really weird is that like, like if you listen to the song Allure, it's uh, you know right near the end of our record, man. It's like this like kind of slow, spacey thing, and then hits these big open notes and ends. And there's no breakdowns. And man, that's the last song we wrote for that record. But, you know, and Death to Traitors was the first song we wrote for that record. So it's just, it's, I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't know how much of it was really conscious as far as, as, as if it, or if it was just more so we just, these are the parts we're kind of sitting on at this time, man. And that's, you know, we're, all right, we're six and a half minutes in. Let's wrap this one up. You know, let's put a bow in this one. We had been lucky enough to, to really get close with, with Under Oath at the time and, and Norma Jean and uh, these guys and start playing a bunch of these shows. So we just got buddies, like buddied up with those guys. And, you know, like we would do like shows that Chad Johnson would put on. We we got on Furnace Fest, like the first Furnace Fest, played like underneath a water tower. And that was cool because, man, I just recently found these pictures from that. And uh, there's like Hope's Fall and like like all these dudes from all these other bands are like around. I can see them in the background, like watching us. And I was like, Whoa, dude, like had I known that, like I would have probably freaking crapped in my, my jeans at the time. You know, Chad was running take hold records. Uh, he was putting on shows, running a record label, literally by the skin of his teeth. I remember for Christmas one year, Joe got a bunch of 238 stuff or like 238 and like narcissists and, and all these tooth and nail, uh, or, uh, take hold releases. And Joe's mom had called and ordered them and literally talked to Chad on the phone and ordered all of this <laughs> stuff from Mel Order, which is like super, super funny. I remember. Cool mom. Uh, yeah. Like, dude. Oh, Martha's. She's the queen, dude. Good for um, her. Good for yeah. Her. She's she's a legend. Uh, so, yeah. Chad's like barely getting by running this label. But, you know, he's starting to pick up steam. He's got some great bands. You know, 238 was awesome. Under Oath was awesome. I mean, they were just on the road all the time. Like, a bunch of really, like, blue-collar, hard-working bands. He had some really cool really Like, Stairwell mm-hmm. was, like, really awesome, man. Like, really great. He had just had some good stuff. Tooth and Nail. Like, at the time, like, it was Tooth and Nail, and it was kind of take-hold, really, for, like, kind of, like, legitimate indie Christian scene. There were, like, other labels, you know, but, like, really, it was, like, take-hold and Tooth and Nail. So, uh, so yeah, man, Chad, Chad cashed his chips in, um, with Brandon, worked the deal out and, uh, took that catalog to tooth and nail. And, uh, I remember, yeah, we were on tour with, with, with under oath and, uh, kind of found out that that was happening, you know, and, and we were lightly in talks with Chad at the time. And, you know, we were kind of told just to like sit back and, and hold on and, you know, like good things are coming. Just be kind of patient. So, so you were kind of swept in. You were working with Chad, and then upstreamed all the way to the whole shebang. Yeah, really. I mean, from the gig, we were we never had really any take hold ties aside from sort of just like a a high five from Chad. You know. So what was so special about Furnace Fest? Uh, for us, that was, I think that was almost bigger than than playing Cornerstone for us. That that like we felt like if we could get on Furnace Fest, that would legitimize what we were doing. That would legitimize it. I think we were the only ones we were really trying to impress. I mean, we would we're trying to impress local bands and stuff like that. But really, like getting on Furnace Fest would be like a benchmark for us. Mm-hmm. So you know, like and and we barely squeaked on that first year. But I mean, dude, the list of bands on there, and I think that comes back to the part where we were all just such big like scene kids at the time and and legitimate fans of of that scene and like so many different bands across that you know um i mean i remember seeing like us seeing me without you when they released that very first release with like the 3d artwork and they're all in the suits and stuff like that um i remember john our bass player at the time we were on tour in this church van um we were touring over we had done some shows with cool hand luke before and at the time, we were with Under Oath, and we were, man, sweating it out in the summer in the South in this vinyl-seated 15-passenger church van, like with no shirts on, no pants, like a box fan hooked to like a little generator and like a power inverter in the van, just like dying. But we were so pumped. 
to just get to Furnace Fest. And John was blasting that Me Without You thing over and over and over again, man. <laughs> enough to where I, I hated the band pretty quickly. And y'all but, went and did Cornerstone also. Yeah, yeah. Cornerstone was cool, man. Cornerstone was really, really cool. Um, I uh, And like I'd gone a couple times just as like a like a youth group kid. So it's like I, I knew getting in what we would be getting into and everything like that. But man, once we really did, we never we never really did like the generator stage thing or anything like that. Um doing the tooth and nail stage, tooth and nail day was was huge for us. Again, that was another that was like another step for us, you know. And I think you know, in those days, man, those like those festivals, especially those two, really like would put a band on the map. Yep. You know, it's like those those two festivals and some well-placed ads in like HM Magazine would like do a lot for a band. Yep, you're off and running for sure. You know, that that was like, those were like the influencers at the time, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, that's that's crazy. I was really after like Furnace Fest, Chad was like, okay, like we'd, we had recorded the running for the sole purpose of that being a demo for Tooth and Nail. And that was like the singular goal really for us was, hey, we want to be on Solid State. For tooth and nail uh, another little label called vindicated put it out for us uh this girl Kristen that we met this world goodbye Chad got him. He loved it, but said, like, hold on, this is happening. He told us about the tooth and nail thing. We were on tour with Under Oath, I feel like, and they were being, like, super sketchy one night and couldn't tell us anything because they had this, like, top secret information, and it was that they were signing the tooth and nail, I remember. Like, you know, <laughs> like like anybody at that Taco Bell cares, you know? We're on, like, a day off from tour at Taco Bell. So I remember, like, so Chad worked it out and, and, and was like, hey, you know, send some stuff up to tooth and nail. I remember... Bill Power was the first guy I got in contact with up there. And I sent him a bunch of bunch of the EPs. And then before I knew it, Josh and I flew up to Seattle, man. It was like my first plane trip ever. We slept in Aaron Sprinkle's basement. I remember seeing all his like all his like reel to reel tapes. Wow. Like lined up for like Squad Five O and all this like old stuff. Like super, super freaking cool, you know. I remember uh Emily Orzio was like taking us around. She was super cool, man, and, and, and meeting getting to meet everybody. And uh Brandon, Brandon and Jim took us out. I feel like I remember him telling Josh and I was like, hey, I'm gonna put you guys up. You'll do your record with Aaron Sprinkle. Mm-hmm. Like this will happen, which is so funny because I remember being like, oh, I don't know if he's like, you know, the guy for us. So yeah, man, it that ended up working out really well. Um Tooth and Nell came at us and and we we you know, got a, a got a deal done and and kind of got us in the studio as soon as we can. You know, they re-released the running to kind of give us some time, give us some legs, give us some uh, something to really tour under that they could push for a little while until we kind of finished writing the record. But uh, so after you get signed, you get up there, you get to the studio. Now we're tra- talking about track and failure on. So you've refined your music and stuff over this time. I've heard you before make cracks or jokes or insults about some elements of the production of failure on that you don't like which i find very offensive because it's one of my favorite (laughs) recordings that i think is totally brutal and it it captures whatever that music is as good as as almost anything and so i take issue with you because i've heard you make fun of that recording some tell me tell the people what you mean by that (laughs) well i'm just wondering what context we were both in when i was making when i was making fun of this um there, I mean, you know, for us, that was like, that was the first real record. Like originally we were supposed to do the record with Brian McTurnan. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Like we were going to do it with him. And then like, I remember Chad gets an email. And he's like, Hey, he's like recording this band thrice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were doing the artist in the ambulance. Yeah. Like yeah. right when we were doing. So I remember I was at a video store with Josh. We were just like hanging out, renting a video and Chad's like, Hey, I think uh, we can get you guys in with Garth Richardson. And he was like, you know, he did the first Rage Against the Machine record. Mm-hmm. And he's done like crazy stuff. So we're, 
I was like, uh, yeah, let me call you back, dude. <laughs> so it's like, so, but I mean, you know, at the time it's like, oh, we're hardcore. Like what kind of, what kind of cred is, is, is this going to be like, is he going to record this crazy? Like he just did Kitty and Chevelle. Like, is it going to be, is that kind of record going to work for us? And then in retrospect, dude, that record totally works. That slick production totally worked for us. And I, I don't think, I mean, artists in the ambulance, but thrice sounds amazing and it nails what that band was doing. And that record, that production probably would have done awesome for beloved or, or whatever way Brian McTurnan would have want to do. But it's really funny how like at that point, like the most important thing I'd been a part of, you know, that band that we were getting ready to do just gets this crazy curveball, and we have to decide in like a day if we're going to like do this, you know? And, so yeah. So anyway, fast forward to getting up there. Like once we're up there, up there to British Columbia, in British Columbia, yeah. And man, we and talked Bank. to uh, Seth Roberts from Otashiwa, so he's already told us a little bit about Garth. But I think you should should also. Yeah, Garth. Garth's a wild dude, man. I mean, at the time we were all like, gosh, we were like, you know, eighteen, nineteen. No, we were like probably like twenty, I guess, at the time or so. Josh was like eighteen, and uh, you know, Josh didn't graduate high school uh with us he did like this like kind of homeschooling type program to to get a to get his degree or whatever and uh we so we're up there man we're young impressionable man just like you know goofy goofy kids who know we're like (laughs) in way above our heads with this producer you know with garth Man, when I sat down to track, it would be like if it was a GCD progression, which I don't know if we have any GCD progressions, it would be like, all right, let's play through this G. All right, now we're going to punch all the Cs. And it's like tune every note. Everything's Mm -hmm. perfectly in tune. And I think we were trying to take them to like hardcore school. And they Uh were trying to to take us to like, we want to try and help you guys make some money school. (laughs) Like we want to help you guys be like a successful band school. And uh, we recorded on this island, and we stayed in a small cabin outside of Garth's main house where the studio was. And I remember, so we'd just be kind of living our day-to-day lives in there, unless, like, I was tracking or Matt was tracking. you just kind of clock in for work and go do that, then come back. (laughs) And there was this time, I remember, like, Joe and Matt, I feel like, came running back into the cabin. And we're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're, like, they've done something. And we're pretty sure they just like have ruined like insult to injury. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And they, they, uh, they had run in the digital editing suite and this guy, Ben Kaplan, who Ben's incredible. Dude's a brilliant engineer and, and editor and producer. Uh, I think he did a lot of work on a, a haste the day record that they did with Garth. He, he was doing the editing where he's actually like kind of cleaning up the tracks. I know, I know, you know, a lot about like, digital editing and all that stuff but he's he's putting our recording to a click track and we didn't record to a click track mm-hmm. so he's trying to instill a tempo to a song that doesn't have a set tempo mm-hmm. we purposely would slow down to go into a heavy part we perfectly you know we purposely speed up to go into a faster riff or something you know so he's trying to get this like perfect like Mm-hmm. <laughs> going across the whole song so i guess like these dudes walked in at the worst possible time and they just heard him doing that so he heard like <laughs> so parts is supposed to be like coming out of riff and then goes dun 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 he's got this click where it's like and they are freaking out because we don't know anything about that recording like that process really how did that get resolved which how did it wind up on the album did they make you keep it fast no 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 how did you fix it i think like we just kind of like went i think we went and told teacher like we went and cried to garth (laughs) and we're like we heard this (laughs) you know garth's probably like chill out like he's just cleaning up a track or something you know and uh like they were upset just that he was editing in, in the first place. Yeah, he's yeah. just doing he's just doing his job. So I mean for us it was literally just like 
here we are thrown into this like super pro recording environment that we had never been in, but it was super awesome to do it. I mean, like we're so far from home, like we've got a, like three weeks to do this record. Like, I think we spent like 28 days like doing this record, like start to finish. And, uh, it, it was just like a whirlwind of, I don't know, man, there's like so many parts that it's like tough to even remember back to because it was such a crazy experience, but it was awesome. Like Garth, I mean, dude, like Garth and his crew were so raw and funny, but they were like, so like awesome. Like they were everything like that record was everything we needed it to be from like the, the songs to the recording to the time we spent recording it with who we recorded it with, you know, like I feel like everything like that happened with that record was, was pretty perfect for us. You know, did you, I'm, I'm sure you did, but the, the split EP that self-minded did with the mm-hmm. spirit that guides us, mm-hmm. like the way that's recorded and, and the way those, like when they'll hit those like open notes and you, it's like, you can feel the bass coming off those speakers like it, they'll go goom and you feel like the, ooh. it's like, it pushes back. Like we showed that to Garth and we we're like, that's, that's what we want our breakdowns to sound like on our record. We want you to be able to feel that push off of there. We want the speaker to sound alive. So we like showed him like those, like those two records. We're like that's, this band is sick. And like these breakdowns are real and that's what we want ours to sound like. What did Garth say and how did that, how did that go? Man, he, he totally got it. Totally got it. Man, actually, the the mixing I love. I mean, that's that's Jr. McNeely. Mm-hmm. You know, like we that that's a whole different thing, man. We had that record. We had that record in the can. Dean, the engineer, was gonna mix it. I guess there was like some confusion amongst the label with like the financial side of things with like and how it's going to be finished like post like actual recording so i feel like they were just like well dean said he was just going to mix it so he sent us these mixes and they weren't at all what we expected to we thought they were just garbage 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 so they ended up getting jr to mix it um a few of us went to nashville met jr mcneely for the first time and he just destroyed it uh-huh. you know it's polished in just this perfect way because it has all of the energy it's like you were saying from those sounds of that speaker like the way that it feels is really guitar heavy and you feel the woofiness of the guitar in a way that makes you feel when you're listening to this super polished sound and record it's still giving you the energy to put you in the space of being in the pit like yeah. like it's it's not what it sounds like to be in the pit that sound on the recording is what it feels like to be in the pit. But actually, when you're in the pit, that isn't the exact polished sound, no. Yeah, but it's yeah. a great way to, to recreate the feeling of that with that energy and that tightness that, that you get more uh, benefit of the doubt for, of live or something. So it actually is to, one of my favorite recordings ever. I think it totally captures what, what's, yeah. what's really going on. We were never embarrassed by the recording. I think we were maybe worried about what some of our peers might have thought of the recording I see. you know a lot of our friends were like recording records with like Kurt Ballou from Converge and mm-hmm. here we are these dudes and we weren't like a super we weren't I mean we we're a hardcore band but we weren't this like thrashy hardcore band you know and that's why in retrospect yeah the record was perfect for us it's kind of like what I was talking about strong arm it's like this like really pretty beautiful recording for a for some songs that have like movement and, and that we wrote with a lot of emotion and, and purpose. But I, I think a lot of it could have possibly been like, Oh man, what are, mm-hmm. what are our friends and these heavy bands going to think? Like we've got this record. That's not this like trashy hardcore record, but it's like, mm-hmm. well, Hey man, like we're not a, we're not a trashy hardcore band, you know? So I think yeah. that might, that might've probably been what it was. Maybe like, uh, what are our friends going to say? But definitely now, like, you know, man, almost, wouldn't change know, a thing. Eighteen years later, no, man. You know, yeah, yeah, now okay, I mean, good, good, now, good. now, now, I think you know, maybe in the actual recording process, I would be like, 
try to lighten up on some of the guitar stuff as far as like, hey, we don't need to punch in every single chord. You know, let's try to make things a little more alive. But that was, you know, that's just the way they made records, man. Uh-huh. And that's that's just the way it goes. From having that record come out, and I remember Cornerstone the next year, 2004. No, 2003 Cornerstone would have been the next year uh, with that record out. And it was already selling like crazy. And I bet it felt like after that record was out, you had a career all of a sudden, huh? I think for sure. You and know, you're just think- kids, basically, if you start, especially with Josh. For sure, dude. We just were just wanted to go. You know, we had it. We had our ticket at that point. The hard work was done. Let's just go play shows now. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of we were getting good tour offers. We we were touring ten months out of the year. You know, we were just on the road, dude. So, how do y'all handle being that young? All your success. Did it feel like success? And how did did y'all handle it personally? No, I mean, dude, it was success until we came home and cashed out from tour. You know, we we. Five dollars a day per diems, like sleeping in van floors, asking kids to you know sleep at their houses at night. I mean, we weren't we weren't crying, dude. Like we had job little jobs at grocery stores. We could come home and work when we were home from tour, you know, for a couple months. But um, it was just man, we all. But lived eventually, home. you had some stuff going. Eventually, you got paid somehow. You had some big festivals. I mean, you didn't really hang on as part of the problem. But I mean. That was a time when it was possible to earn money. I think it was. I think, you know, for sure, you know, looking forward, I think we dipped out. I mean, we obviously dipped out too early, but, um, you know, we got, we had there, I could probably count like for sure on half a hand, like, like real, like bona fide tours that, that really probably genuinely did something for us that really helped us, you know, that, that big solid state tour we did with Dead Poetic, Case the Day, Norma Jean, and Under Oath, that was enormous. We had never done, we had never done. Most of us had on the tour had never done shows where we're doing two shows a night. Yeah, because I remember it, because hearing it, about it, that, we were on the road just, somewhere, and they say, "You hear that? They added another show, five hundred more tickets. They started at ten at night and sold it out again." And I was like, yeah, "Wow!" Yeah, I mean, I remember Texas. There were like three shows that were like that, man, in the middle of the summer. So it's like those shows. It's like. You come off that, you've got to be a fool if you, you don't think you've got momentum going, uh-huh. you know? And like we would do, dude, we did we did this tour with Avenged Sevenfold and My Chemical Romance. I remember being in um, a sitting in the back room in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, dude, and Gerard from My Chem walks in and, and that tour, that tour was like maybe like 120 people a night at that time. Right. I remember um, that. Yeah, Gerard walks in and he's like, "Hey guys, we just got like our final mixes back from like Howard Benson or whatever, um, for I guess that three cheers for Sweet Revenge record." Mm-hmm. And it's like we were all like, we heard it and we were like, "Holy crap, you guys are about to blow up!" And like, had that tour happened at you know four months later, it would have been insane. Mm-hmm. So I think there was like a lot of that too, you know, man, a lot, a lot of little sw- swings and misses. We had a lot of fun. We we played a ton of shows uh, when it was easy to play shows when finances didn't matter a ton. But when finances kind of started to matter, that's when things kind of got a little, you know, we, we had to start kind of really thinking about what we're doing. And some of us definitely more so than others, for sure. Okay, so now you're saying that everything was fine or everything was good or everything was as good as it could be is almost the energy that I hear until you did start to make money? I mean, you know, we would come out like we came off that solid state tour with some money. Like I remember counting cash on my parents' like dining room table and they were impressed, you know? Yeah, well, that's a great uh, moment there yeah, too. Yeah, that's uh, a great moment. <laughs> that's a and good one. They were like, so you're going to put it in the bank? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm buying a Les Paul. What do you think <laughs> I'm doing? I just toured for six months. I'm buying this Les Paul now. Um, but, you know, I think like it was it was semi-sustainable with the lifestyles that we were living at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it wasn't, that's that wasn't uh, a sustainable lifestyle for a 30-some-year-old dude. But it was your, your first record, though, and it was working, yeah. and you were making money, and it, it, you had it only been out for like a year. You already got a pile of money on the table, though. I had that one was just pile, the beginning. We had, we had one little pile of money, <laughs> but that was, but it had been doing it for very long. Yeah, 
Yeah, that but was I mean, the beginning. Dude, but I mean, we had been, I mean, dude, we had been touring. I mean, we had been doing like nine, 10 months out of the year touring for a while. The record Not finally came record out. out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I mean, really? So, you know, by, by like 2004 is, is when things kind of started getting a little uh, different. We had great booking agent at the time that was like working really hard for us. We kind of got into like a management situation where maybe we really didn't need to kind of get into a management situation. At the time, though, we, we thought that maybe that was the next step for us. And, and maybe it was the next step, but we maybe we didn't make the right choice. And we kind of jumped into something a little too quickly. But so we, we got in uh, with a manager, uh, this guy, Dave, who is a, a friend of ours and a great like Dave. Dave was a good dude. He, he wasn't a manager. He was like he's like a lifer guy. He was in these heavy bands at the time. And so I think we as a band apprehensively kind of like signed this this contract with him because we thought he could help us. He was working with a bunch of like much larger bands not really in a managerial role, like on a crew role, but we thought a connection's a connection. This guy likes our band. We think he can really help us. And I think, you know, had we stuck with it longer, we probably would have seen some more fruit from that relationship. But at the time, man, it just, it all hit, you know, by like 2004. It, it wasn't really like a big unanimous feeling that we should have gone with, with Dave. By the time Joe was engaged is when, it it just kind of all seemed to be like that was a bad idea. Maybe continuing this band's a bad idea. I, I don't know, man. It was just this like perfect storm of like, just like crap, man. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I feel like I've said this so many times. Just like crap, yeah, that, man. that's what I'm saying. This is one, this is one of those stories that's kind of hard to hard to swallow because for, for for me, for me as a fan, you know, for me as a friend, because what. A guy got engaged, and you had a manager that wasn't so great. Okay, <laughs> I know, you, right? you just have a pile of money on your table. It's late two thousand three, going into two thousand four, the exact time when most people are just now finding out about the great band that is beloved. And you have a weird manager deal, and uh, one of you guys is getting married, so it starts to seem like the band is not a good idea anymore. Uh, it's I, weird, I don't, man. I don't, I don't, uh, don't, that really yeah. shake out to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. You're preaching <laughs> to the choir, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, man, like, so there were these, like, weird feelings with, with the management thing, but we were kind of in, like, a contract with Dave. We're young. Literally, it's the second contract the band's ever kind of signed, and I felt like we signed it on a piece of paper at, like, an Outback Steakhouse with Dave one night. You know, he bought us dinner, and we thought that's just what you did. Um, you've, you've, you've heard this a billion times on this podcast because I've heard this type of thing a billion times on this podcast. But, um, so man, yeah, we, we did some shows. We, we went to England at that time. Like I feel like Joe's engaged at that time and man, like it just doesn't feel right. You know, like it doesn't. England just didn't kind of feel the same. And it felt like looking back for sure now, I mean, it's always easier in retrospect, but like looking back now, man, it's like I could, I could look back and be like, that felt like a really like separate tour. Like we, we weren't all together. Like we were mm -hmm. before, like every other tour, man, we were just, it was just all of us. And it's funny because we were in a van, a 15 passenger van with, dead poetic in one other band and our gear and our luggage driving across. And nobody's so we were, having a good time. We're yeah. I mean like Josh and I were having a good time, but like Matt, I think was having a pretty good time, but like Joe and Johnny didn't seem to be having such a great time. Joe, especially, I, th I mean, obviously like he had a lot on him, I think mentally at that time, because I mean, I think for sure he 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 had a good feeling about like what we were going to talk about when we came home from that tour. I mean, engagement being a deal breaker, it was it was kind of a thing back then. Today, it's not seen to be that as much, but I guess it kind of seemed reasonable then. But did how did you think of that versus did none of y'all think of it as a career? Man, you know, I think you're 
you're maybe planting out that one pile of cash a little more than <laughs> than maybe what it truly was. Like, but you didn't wasn't... think you could build a career. None of y'all were thinking like him. Want, I mean, how does that interface with his his getting I, engaged? Is the question. I th- I, th- I think we did because I mean, dude, we were we were already starting riffing out and, and parting out stuff for new songs. It's like almost if you could like separate that idea of the band from being a band that records a record to being a band that has to support a record things probably could have been different but my my god that's like <laughs> that's like the story of of my freaking life right now man like looking back um so what's going on with joe he just says uh i'm getting i'm getting engaged so i can't be in the band is it, is it ma- that here, matter of fact here's joe man like he's our he's our first friend of like any of our group of friends at home that's getting married like joe's like working a part-time job at a car wash when he's home from tour, he's got this pressure on him that he's got a wife that he's got to support. You know, it's like, he's like the first of our friends that's taking this like step into real adulthood because we've been spending these formative years, not at home on tour. I don't know. And and I think not learning how, I don't know how, how seamless adulting can be with that. I don't know, especially I don't know, man. Like I said, all this is obviously so much easier in retrospect to look back and think, you know, man, he just really felt like that that maybe wasn't the time. And I don't know if he felt that maybe at that time Josh was maybe going into a separate way. He, you know, Josh at that time was kind of hanging out with those dudes from that band classic case, you know, and he eventually kind of, you know, made the move right over to them. You know, he was, those guys played our last show. You know, they were some of our good friends. But what happened? What does Joe say? Like, you know he's getting engaged, and it's like, well, he's getting engaged, so you know he's going to quit. Or or did was he saying, guys, I'm going to get engaged, and then I'm going to quit, or I've gotten engaged, and now I have to quit? Joe was engaged. I remember, man, the conversation in my parents' basement. Like, we literally had – I feel like we had practiced, which was weird because we didn't practice at my parents' basement much. It was always at Joe's parents'. Um we we were down there and we were like, hey, we need to talk. And it's almost like the conversation didn't even start that way. I felt like I felt like it was just a normal conversation. And then it like <laughs> it was just like a blackout moment. And then like 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, we're planning our last show. You know, like, all right, this is what Joe's doing. And there was never there was never a thought of replacing him. Yeah, it was literally just like kind of snapped fingers. And we're like, well, you know, that's it. It wasn't a discussion to get a different. I mean, partly because Joe's so important vocally in the band. Totally. Is it ju- is it just that? Like, it wasn't any I mean, other. I mean, some of you guys could learn to scream or something. Yeah, I mean, dude, no, we're family, man. Uh-huh. You know, like really, like we got Matt. You know, Matt was the Matt and Johnny. You know, Johnny was the last one to join. Um, but dude, we were family. You know, and I don't know, man. We just we that was never even an option. Never even thought about it. That was it. We, we planned our last show. Here's where it's going to be. Here's what we think we should do. You know, we got a few months, a few months to plan it. And that would make sense to, well, I mean, I don't think it makes sense, but it would make more sense if Joe then went home, got married, and never played music again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. <laughs> I know, man. Advent, Advent came along pretty quickly. But... <laughs> where are they now? I remember like going to Matt's house like a month after our last show and it's like, oh yeah, we're getting together and jamming. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Wait, what? Um, but I mean, you know, and that just, that, that, that's the way it is, man. (laughs) I mean, dude, hindsight's a hell of a thing. You know, it is. Well, what did it? I mean, in the ta- in both of these moments, I'm feeling like, what? How do you not try to work it out at the time? Like at that time, were you upset? Joe started. He quit. He ends beloved in 2004, and then starts Advent the next month. Dude, I mean, yeah, I feel like at the time I was kind of like there's kind of like the dejected feeling. I was like, oh man, is it me? <laughs> like, is it? Am I the one that that's that sucks? And you guys need to do a new band, you know? Yeah, Josh because is, it's 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 it, playing in Advent is who? It, dude, it, it was Joe, Johnny, and Matt. 
started Advent. <laughs> so it's, you it's, know, t- Josh, Josh was in classic case and I was, our, you know, I feel like, I feel like at that time I had been talking with Brandon already with, for Dead Poetic, you know? Yeah. I can't remember how the time frame worked and maybe that's why they thought that it, that was like totally okay to do. And I think, you know, when, when Advent started, it was just like, hey, we're just going to write these heavy songs and play some shows around town. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever like, Hey, we're going to go on tour. Cause then truthfully, they never really even toured much with yeah. Advent. But it still seems the case that if you could have just negotiated and held out until Joe realized that he could play again, that it, it could have worked out. Yeah. It's almost weird that we were never just like, Hey, cool. Well, let's take like six months off and then see what's up. Right. Why? But why not? A lot of it, there was the sour taste with the management thing. We were like, okay, well, we're committed here. Like y'all weren't getting along. There was other problems though. Yeah. And maybe Josh at this point is maybe checked out, you know? What do you, what do you mean by that? I don't know, man. Maybe maybe Josh is kind of, I don't know if it's like mentally or on a friend level or what, but like I said, he had, he had been hanging with those guys in Classic Case and he pretty quickly went to their band the same way we kind of pretty quickly all went to, to do our, whatever we all did right after. Um, so that maybe, I don't know, man, maybe there was something in there that, that went a little deeper that, that kind of split out a little bit, you know, kind of pushed Josh out one way, pushed me out one way, pushed Joe, Johnny and Matt out another way. I don't know, man. I think a lot of it, I think there's a lot of just like weird internal feelings after we kind of made that decision with uh, with the management issue. Well, I hear you on one hand saying you're family. And then on the other hand, I'm sa- I hear you saying nobody fought for anything, just kind of went their own way and weren't close. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's like that we just kind of were like, screw you guys, we're going our own way. It's almost like, well, if this is you know, Joe, if this is what you want to do, this is what you're going to do, man. You know, we're still friends. Maybe at that time, I don't, I think maybe we all thought, oh, well, maybe we'll do something, you know, on down the road. Mm-hmm. And then it was always, it, dude, for years, it was every year, you know, every year it'd be like, hey, you think we might, we might do something. And then, you know, us four would be like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk to Josh. Wait, what? What about Joe? When did Joe start saying he would play again, though? Like you're saying, Joe would say, this, "I'll play." You know, again? this would be, you know, say like a year. Once a he's year. touring again, and maybe he's more open. He's like, "Okay, uh, beloved." Well, like a year later, you know, and like Joe, like quickly realized, you know, like even listening to like your conversation with Brandon, you know, like he, Reich said he he wishes he could go back and just be like, dude, chill out for just a minute, you know, like it'll be all right. Just just give it a little bit. You'll you'll see. You'll be fine. You know, man, it's tough. It's tough, though. You know, Joe had his had his mind made up, and and Joe's a he's a smart dude. He's a stubborn dude as far as as uh, a guy that he doesn't make like rash decisions. He's silly. He's goofy, but he's dude. He's he's smart and he's honest and he's got a ton of integrity. So when he said he was gonna, you know, quit the band, that's that's what he did. But then he would say he was open to a beloved reunion, so that should have fixed it. So y'all sure. talked about getting back together, and Joe was down with it. So we we were all down with it, man. You know, we were all down with it. I remember, uh, it, it maybe it was like two years later. I got I got married and, and moved to Philadelphia, but I remember being home. I felt like for a few years, every holiday, every Christmas, I came home. We'd all get up and hang out. Josh didn't because he lived in Chapel Hill, but it'd be like us four, and be like, oh man, you know, like hey. You know, let's do it. You know, people might still care. And, you know, every year it was just kind of Josh was just like, nah, you know, I'm okay. So then you had Joe was willing to do it, but Josh was not. Yeah, all of us were. Why, did you pursue him what he said? Why not? No, man, because, you know, honestly, at that point, Josh was, was kind of, uh, we would faintly keep in touch a little bit, you know, say like 2006, like, to, you know, we'd text a little bit or, or talk on the phone a little bit, but Josh was doing his own thing. You know, he was, uh, doing classic case and he was writing songs. Um, you know, dudes, like I said, he's a phenomenal songwriter. So he was just kind of at that point really pursuing like his own interests, you know, like a totally separate, like totally separate from beloved. 
Um, was it hard for you ever when people like me would always bug you during those times? Like, can't you work it out? Can't you get back together? I'm sure we could. It's got to be good. I mean, got to do it. Got to do it. Yeah. I mean, no, man. Cause like, that's, that's just awesome. You know, dude, I wish I always would say, I wish, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not just me, you know, and that's the thing. It was the five of us. So, and it always kind of had to be the five of us. Yeah. I always kind of thought it would happen. I mean, it, it seemed like it would you know like you say that every year I'm, I'm sure you've i mean lots of people would bug you about it and still over over the years right not yeah. just not just me yeah <laughs> you were the main one but, uh, <laughs> you were number one uh no man it happened dude like brandon ebel like i'd be showing him the dead poetic record or an almost record and it would come back to beloved every time you know with mm -hmm. him which was cool because that's what we always wanted that's yeah. exactly what I wanted to hear from the first time I heard Sometimes Sunday. Was yes. like I wanted I wanted Brandon Ebel to like the band I'm in. I mean, he said it so many times to me that Beloved not making a follow up record is just uh one what could have been. Like Tooth and Nail was at its peak. This is the perfect sound. You already had it nailed on the first record. You just stepped into it where it was making money. All you gotta do is knock out of the park on the next record and you basically step into the territory that under oath was in and then move in a different direction and it's like you could just inhabit that territory and totally own that and it, and yeah. it, and it could have been so much bigger than your first record that was really successful yeah i mean failure all was really successful and the follow-up to that was like a no-brainer barn burner massive record and everybody knows it and that's what was so sad about it it was tough, man. It was tough watching guys like Under Oath, you know? You're stoked for those guys, but you're just like, crap, man. Like, you know, you want to be like, Joe, see? See <laughs> see what we could have done, you know? But, well, Failure On was out before they're only chasing safety by a yeah. good amount of time. You yeah, know, for and, sure. and so the follow-up to Failure On would have been right in mid-cycle of they're only chasing safety. And can you just imagine the possibilities like of, yeah. of what Tooth and Nail had and what your friends under oath had and what that scene and genre was in mid 2004 and five, you know, a band like thrice was just destroying it at that time, you yeah. know? And so that, yeah, man, it was, it's, it's always fun to look back and think, you know, for sure what could have been, you know, Joe felt like he had to do what he had to do, man. And, and we loved him. And so we supported it as tough as it was, you know, we, we, had a hell of a last show and it was incredible and so you guys kept in contact except for not josh is that true of everybody but josh uh you know like i i kept up with josh i think johnny kept up with josh but like joe and matt probably not so much you know um like i said he'd lived in chapel hill which from kernersville that's like about an hour an hour away or so it's over near raleigh um so and i was living in philadelphia but Josh, uh, by the time I was in the Almost, we took Josh out on a tour after Warp Tour, let him ride in the bus with us and stuff like that. Just like I was just trying to like, you know, reconnect and, and, and do whatever I could do to help a guy that I've always believed in, you know. Mm. So um, and, and, you know, like after that tour, like that was 2007. After that, like I didn't talk to josh too much man but yeah i would keep sort of in contact we never like purposely like didn't keep in contact he just like had his own thing you know our circles of friends were, were different you know at that point we're all like married and, and doing our own things you know josh is in chapel hill making music it's got tons of like artist friends and doing like really incredible things that that we just you know just different lives at that point how would it feel when you see through these years when you see other bands get back together and do something amazing? Dude, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's the thing. That's the like, it's always, it would always be like pretty much an instant text message to like Johnny and Joe. It all, that, that was like, that would be like the instant reflex would be just text these guys and be like, see, see, like this, it, it would be, it would be cool. It would be awesome, you know, especially like, I think probably the most recent thing would, would see a band like Acidies Burn, which those guys, for us, I remember we, we were playing shows with those guys when they were just starting. And, man, like I remember, and I wasn't even such a fan of like super aggressive music so much, but like, man, seeing those guys just floored me. And just thinking that like these guys get it. 
they get it the same way that I felt like we got it. Like, not like everybody needs to know that, oh, we got it. But like, these guys are like simpatico, man, you know, like the, the same way they craft songs, like is, is, you know, the way that we think songs should be crafted in an aggressive way. And, uh, so when they got back together, man, that was, that was really one that we were like, man, gosh, like, that'd be freaking awesome if we could get back together. And even if we just like did shows with those guys, but no. <laughs> All right. So tell me best as you understand what Josh has been through. What, what am I going to encounter with him? I, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know. He, cause he distanced himself so much from us. It was almost just like, dude, that was like, that was just like a different, I don't know, man. Just like he was away from us. So I, I, I didn't know. You know, I don't know what's going on with them. You know, I'd hear, hear stuff a little bit from like Skylar or somebody, you know, Skylar and him are really close. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I, uh, I don't know. I always try to keep up, but it's like when you keep up with somebody like that, like just peeking in, you don't want to be like, Hey man, I heard you're like, you're doing really rough now or something. I don't know. At least I'm not like that. Uh, so, so now I, I'm, I'm hoping to, to get, more out of like kind of what he's been through yeah. all right to be continued i guess i'll save the credits for next one just live.